You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. The Latin American region is facing considerable environmental, social, and governance challenges, but each challenge presents an opportunity to strengthen economic performance across industries and nations. Regional ESG investors have to contend with an incredibly diverse landscape and should understand the interplay between firms, their customers, their supply chain, and their place in the larger economic ecosystem. On this episode of Market Points, we welcome back Francisco Suarez, Director of Global Equity Research at Scotiabank. Francisco covers ESG for Latin America and is also a member of Mexico's multidisciplinary working group for the country's 2030 climate agenda. I spoke to Francisco about the region's ESG evolution. Hi, Francisco. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. Francisco, if we can start um, with, let's say, the key trends you're seeing in ESG and sort of everything that falls under that umbrella of the sustainable approach to investing. Got you. Uh, I think that it is worth mentioning the following. Um, The investments in ESG has grown dramatically over the past few years. Just to give you an idea, a couple of numbers here. It grew from $18 trillion in 2014 to $31 trillion uh, uh, as of 2018. And, and, And the three major styles of that investments accounts for uh, something that is called negative screening, that is basically trying to exclude those companies that may be doing poorly in either environmental or corporate governance or social factors. Um, but also we have seen a lot of uh, uh, interest in ESG integration. That is about the, the companies that on average, on the three different factors, they do well compared to the average. And the third um, major investment style that we have seen, it is about um, the activist role. It is about, and this is particularly interesting for Latin America because we have tightly controlled companies by either families or or close tight groups. And nevertheless, these groups that know very well their businesses and they have thrived over the years, they can actually do better with if the, an activist in this case allows them or helps them to find opportunities on how to improve on governance factors, on environmental factors, or in social factors, and they can do a much better business. So all these three companies account for roughly 80% of all the investment style. This is a global trend, and this is uh, actually what we see as well in Latin America. So regionally speaking, then, how has ESG evolved over time? Historically, uh, and this goes hand in hand with a negative screening, which has with, was actually the first investment style that we see. Um, it is about governance. I mean, uh, in Latin America as well, if you have tightly controlled companies, you may have issues on, on governance. In other words, minorities, uh, uh, shareholders might be uh, suffering from different 
uh, uh, interest from the controlling company or the controlling group or the controlling family. So that is something that has been addressed over the, the past, I guess, 20 years or so. But now, and this is also a, a global trend, I think that climate change or environmental factors for that matter are the things that are uh, that have been gaining a lot of focus recently. And, and just for instance, consider the following. Um, for the first time in, in decades, we, we have seen that in the World Economic Forum, for instance, all the most important uh, factors with a higher likelihood and with a higher impact in companies, generally speaking, worldwide, relates with environmental related factors. So yes, this trend that we see in Latin America is also part of another major trend that we see worldwide, where mostly all investors are actually uh, trying to address climate change and how things might change dramatically over the course of the next 10 years as the world economy migrates to a low carbon uh, economy over these 10 years. Okay, I found something interesting uh, in some of your research which showed that there is a large portion of Latin American companies creating and communicating sustainability statements, uh, but then you also reported that there is uh, quite a wide gap when it comes to uh, the percentage of these statements that actually provide uh, disclosures that are up to global standards. Uh, why the gap? You are addressing a very important um, uh, question here, Greg, because um, we're discussing here about non-financial disclosures. Uh, when you disclose financial disclosures, that's pretty much standard worldwide. I mean, you already have very sound and proved standards that have become better over the over the over the years. In this case, on ESG we have to address non-financial disclosures that should be material in the operations of a company uh, or in the potential risks or opportunities that, that, that a company may have. So it is very important to adhere to the global standards that help all issuers to address what matters to investors. So on that sense, um, my overall um, um, feedback that I have with other investors and companies alike, it is about the challenge to make sure that the disclosure of these non-financial uh, factors are done in the best way with the best practices. And, and yes, you are right. We see a huge gap in Latin America between those, those companies that embrace those standards and those companies that do not. So um, yes, um, uh, you may have been familiar with the term greenwashing, for instance. Well, greenwashing may relate with a company trying to put a nice set of photographs uh, of all the, the people planting trees here and there. But what matters, it is actually to make sure that this company discloses what is the, the carbon footprint that this company may have and what is doing the company to either to abate those uh, that carbon footprint or actually create a business out of that. And, and this is very important in the sense because it gives uh, us uh, another element of, of, of analysis because 
Um, it is not only about the companies that are able to disclose on under the best practices, under the best frameworks available, um, uh, but it is also about under, understanding how important ESG in general is uh, at the board level of the companies and what type of strategies a board might be setting uh, 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 to make sure that the overall business that they run can be much more successful and much more resilient or actually take or embrace those opportunities uh, that, that we see over the next 10 years. The disclosure statements are one thing, I suppose, but when investors are really looking at these companies, they have to um, they have to see action. And uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how the priorities of certain actions may be different between industries, uh, between countries, because obviously it's the action that matters. You're almost right, Greg. Um, uh, to begin with, yes, we, we have to begin with making sure that we have the right disclosure, but then we have to make sure that the companies are acting on this disclosure, that they are finding the opportunities to, to either reduce their risk or actually go for those opportunities that are there because lots of opportunities are created by this. It, it could be in the form of savings within their um, uh, overall operations, or it could be in the form of new businesses. Those are the sort of new opportunities that, we, that ESG helps boards, for that matter, to, 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 to identify going forward. So yes, I think that even though that uh, disclosure is the first step, uh, investors and everybody else will be starting to look at the change of how these companies actu actually are taking action and, and, and how they are ab abiding or how they close they are to their own targets on decarbonization or other, other targets that they may have. So yes, for certain and, and for sure, th there's a huge difference across industries. Um, for energy intensive companies, the, the, the bulk of what is material for them may, may, may go in the form of emissions, of greenhouse emissions. And of course, that is a topic that correlates a lot with climate change. So th th for those, those companies, that uh, might be the most important factors. But for others, uh, take for, for, for instance, uh, mining companies, it, the social factors the, the, the role of, of how their operations uh, may affect or may coexist with their communities, that is actually a much more important uh, factor. And there's another thing that you have to think about here. Um, when comparing countries, you have to um, uh, understand that several countries may have certain systemic risks. So within the Pacific Alliance, for instance, uh, you will notice that in Colombia, um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the way that they actually generate energy is thanks to the, uh, hydro, the, the, the overall hydroelectric uh, footprint that they have. So, so the, if they have a lot of hydro sources uh, uh, compared to Chile or to Mexico, the, the major source of fossil fuel emissions will not go will not be made out of the energy industry. So this is important because all of a sudden 
you when you compare countries in the in Latin America, in Latin America as such, uh, you will see that you have carbon intensive uh, economies like Chile and Mexico, but also the countries that struggle the most on water security, those would be unfortunately as well Chile and Mexico. This is not the case of Colombia. This is not the case of Brazil. Uh, so again, the, the things on how we should be tackling down climate change, the transition risks for the next 10 years may unfold quite dramatically different across countries. In other words, um, when you see Mexico, for instance, uh, if fossil fuels from the energy uh, sector are the most important source of fuels, well, you have the opportunity to embrace renewables, for instance, and, and, and not only make a sound uh, investment case for them because they are cheaper and, and they do not pollute, they do not generate those greenhouse gases. Um, and, and this is the same for Chile. Uh, so Chile is actually doing very well on that on that regard, and 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 I and I, I believe that there there these uh, these factors gives you an idea of new opportunities where where you can do much more businesses in these countries as well. So, but again, every single industry, as you mentioned, has very different uh, factors of of what is material for them in terms of ESG. But also we have to understand that countries in general may differ on, on what might be much more relevant as well. You mentioned water security. When we think of the environment, the, the focus tends towards emissions. Uh, but, but you see water security as a really big issue when thinking about ESG. Definitely. Um, the, you have to understand that climate change, it is about the volatility linked to events like floods, hurricanes, and the like. And you have to understand that this may affect certain areas and, 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 and certain communities. Unfortunately, yes, uh, not only geographically, you may, you may actually see what, what, where, where are the regions that are much more vulnerable, but also what communities might be much more vulnerable. And yes, the social issues related with that. So one part of the analysis, understanding the overall vulnerabilities to specific events related with much more floods or hurricanes for that matter. But the long-term um, uh, aspect of climate change relates as well with the potential migrations that we might see uh, within a single country, for instance, because all of the sudden certain communities might actually be at the wrong place. So yes, this is a very um, uh, important topic that does connect directly with the social factors. And as a company, you have to make sure that you are able to, uh, to, to make sure that not only your supply chains can be resilient, because this is a way to use ESG, uh, uh, but also in, in, in addressing those, um, uh, th those vulnerabilities that may exist in certain communities that for some reason at the end of the day, uh, they are linked to your operations. So we have several examples here. 
imagine um, a power plant that is uh, fueled by uh, either uh, coal or something. Uh, of course, coal is uh, it is the, the most uh, dirty source of, 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 of fossil fuel that you can imagine. Uh, but um, the point here is that being thermal, you extract a lot of water. So if you are in a country with, uh, with limited water supplies, you may be affecting the water supply of, of a community. So this is important because all of the sudden, uh, we may actually see lots of in, uh, investments there that, that eventually might be idled. Um, the, this is um, um, something that, that, that may happen o over the next 10 years. Uh, for instance, um, it, if, if, if you may have, uh, if you're an investor, you may want to understand if you will have stranded assets. Uh, stranded assets are those assets that for some reason might be vulnerable to floods and, and their, their value might be zero because all of a sudden they may be just uh, uh, <laughs> flooded all the time with water. If the if the overall water uh, rises uh, in the coastal zones, for instance, or perhaps because this asset might be in in the middle of the land, but unfortunately that asset may be affecting the the the, the water supply for certain communities. So at the end of the day, the society should be deciding between having that power plant uh, running or or, or providing uh, uh, access to, to, to water for that community. Th that's the type of, of things that we should be addressing over the next 10 years. For firms that are engaged in uh, ESG uh, activity and improving those areas of their business uh, and making significant change, there's always that uh, uh, conversation around this will lower your cost of capital. What's the opposite side of that equation uh, for firms that aren't taking the appropriate actions is that that the the cost of capital goes up so much it makes their entire business unsustainable uh, or is the, just a complete lack of access to capital is that where it goes we already see evidence uh, all of the sudden many institutions are starting to to go away from the 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 most uh, uh, environmental unfriendly businesses around. For, for, so to give you a specific examples, the, the um, several institutions worldwide are, start, are starting to make sure that they not lend to anyone who has a coal business, for instance. Uh, even, uh, and, and this is, this is from the, 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 the bank's perspective, isn't it? Uh, but also we have seen that trend as well from the investor side as well. We, we, among the things that they are starting to avoid are things like anything related with coal. So if, if a company has um, a, a business uh, that, that, uh, that, that is uh, very important uh, for that company in the coal supply chain, well, clearly that, that is a problem. So yes, we are already seeing a crowding out effect from from the banks that are not are avoiding these uh, activities and the, and the investors as well because these investors will not be holding any form of securities of, of such businesses. 
That was Francisco Suarez, Director of Global Equity Research at Scotiabank. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts. Don't miss an opportunity to hear from industry thought leaders. Click subscribe. And if you've been enjoying Market Points, please be sure to rate and review us. You can also find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. I'm Greg White, and thanks for listening.